Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. So I am cruising down Valencia Street on my bike on a beautiful green bike lane with KQED's Azul Dahlstrom Ekman. Hey, Azul. Hey. It's hard to imagine because there's bike lanes all over the city now. San Francisco is actually one of the best cities for cycling in America. But at one point, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe right now. I mean, we're riding down this beautiful green bike lane. There's bulb outs, there's soft hit posts, there's good signage. I mean, there's all this stuff protecting us. But 30 years ago, there pretty much weren't any kinds of protections for cyclists in the city. The reason that we have this now is sort of two different groups working in tandem, but also apart. What we have on one side is the Bicycle Coalition. They were sort of the mainstream political group organizing to change things from within City Hall. Then you had Critical Mass, which was also starting around the same time, which was just this event where basically people would meet up and ride their bikes together on the last Friday of every month. These two forces combined sort of ended up accidentally working together to change San Francisco forever. Today on Bay Curious, we are going to be learning a lot more about Critical Mass and all that these bike groups did to bring better bike infrastructure to San Francisco. And figuring out how to record while on a bike. This is very dicey. <laughs> Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. 
The critical mass event got its start in San Francisco, but since then it spawned rides in cities all over the world, places like Budapest, Kathmandu, and Copenhagen. KQED reporter Azul Dahlstrom-Ekman attended the 30th anniversary of Critical Mass last September. It's there that he began learning how the ride, which is often seen as chaotic and disruptive, actually helped usher in the more bicycle-friendly city we see today. It's 5.30 on a Friday, and here at Embarcadero Plaza in downtown San Francisco, a cultural phenomenon is happening. I've gone to these... Probably since maybe about the third or fourth ride. Slim Buick is dressed in a dapper gray suit with a polka dot cravat, a fedora, and sunglasses. I did a lot of them in the 90s, always rode something arty. (laughs) For this critical mass, he's riding a bicycle made out of one of those rocking horses on springs, like you see at playgrounds. So I attached to a Schwinn BMX and now it's uh, my fateful steed sprocket. Meanwhile, it's Eli Fresco's first time at a San Francisco critical mass. His first taste of the ride was in Spain. He says all of a sudden, thousands of people pass by in a rolling party. It was kind of a cool contrast to the way you normally think about rush hour traffic on a Friday, which is just sheer misery and pain and everyone hates it. It's a scene. People arrive with huge sound systems on their bikes, dressed in costume, or just wearing their normal clothes. There are all sorts of bikes and people here. 73-year-old Marianne Blackwell of Emeryville is celebrating six years of being car-free. We just take over the streets. We're taking back the streets for the people. At 6.30, they roll out. Destination unknown. That's one of the things about Critical Mass. Although it's happened for the last 30 years, it's just a bike ride. There's no organization, no leader, and no planned route. Chris Carlson was one of the people who started it. So, you know, in the 80s, it was not a lot of people bicycling. It was couriers, for the most part, the bike messengers. He's 65 now. Back then, he would commute to an office on Rincon Hill, right by the Bay Bridge. I would be weaving in and out of traffic. There was literally no place where the bicycle was accepted to be on the road. Every square inch of the width of Market Street was full with motorized vehicles. In September of 1992, Carlson and a group of friends decided to gather on a Friday evening and ride home together. They called the ride the commute clot. If you're sick of being treated like crap on the streets of the city, show up for this thing and ride home in a group. And uh, about 50 people showed up, more or less. They ended up just riding from Embarcadero Plaza, right by the ferry building, up Market Street, to Zeitgeist, a bar in the Mission. But Carlson said the experience was euphoric. The group began planning their next ride. The idea for the name Critical Mass came soon after. Carlson remembers watching the bicycle documentary Return of the Scorcher. There's a scene where the directors are observing bicycle traffic in China. Ted and George Bliss are in a hotel room in Shanghai looking down at the big traffic below of like tens of hundreds of thousands of bicycles. It was a kind of critical mass thing where all the cyclists would pile up. One stream's just going and going and going and then the side street builds up and builds up and builds up until it reaches critical mass and it pushes through and then they go and go and go and go until the other one builds back up. So that was like, oh, that's it, critical mass, that's the name. It was around this time that the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition was also just getting started. 
Today, it's a major political organizing machine. But back then, in the early 90s, they were meeting in the back of a restaurant. The Pot and Pan Chinese restaurant in the Inner Sunset on Ninth Avenue was where we had our meetings for years in the early days. And the people who made the decisions were whomever showed up. That's Dave Snyder. He was elected as the first executive director of the coalition. He estimates around a dozen people voted. So they elected me executive director with a salary of zero dollars to help get the organization started. Like Carlson, Snyder was also a cyclist and worried about the conditions on the streets. When you rode a bike in San Francisco in those days, there weren't many of us. And you would see someone else on a bike and you'd wave, hi, you're on a bike, I'm on a bike, isn't that cool? And then you would start worrying about traffic again. The Bicycle Coalition had its eyes set on changing things from within City Hall. I think the Bicycle Coalition has always been a mainstream group representing the average person who would like to ride a bike on the streets but can't because they're not safe enough. Chris Carlson came to one of those early meetings at the Pot and Pan and asked the coalition to endorse critical mass. And we decided that we would not endorse it, but we would tell people about it, that it wasn't something that we could control, but that it was an important cultural event. So we would make sure that everybody knew about it, and that would be the extent of our involvement. Even though the Bicycle Coalition said no, the mass began picking up steam anyway. By the mid-90s, thousands of people participated in the ride every month. Here's Chris Carlson. People in their cars are just like us. We're just like them. We're in a car another day. We just don't want to admit it. And they might be on a bike another day. And so the idea that we wanted to create a, a politics of celebration and invitation was really the key that I think is why it grew. But critical mass still gained a reputation for being aggressive and sometimes violent. It's standard practice for some cyclists to ride ahead of the group and block traffic for the rest of the ride to pass. People caught in the traffic caused by the mass would sometimes clash with the cyclists. This is one example of the confrontations that took place on the streets. Cyclists were displaying their power in numbers while drivers were stuck and frustrated. We had numerous uh, radio broadcasts of uh, assaults on motorists, uh, cars being kicked. In response to this, Chris Carlson says, I mean, the idea that we went out and attacking cars, that never happens in critical mass. People might respond to a car that's trying to run you over by hitting them or smashing their windows on some occasions. That's happened, but not unprovoked. It's always been because the motorist loses it and decides they can just ram through the bikes with their car. And that's like, no, you cannot. Imagine trying to drive home on a Friday night. In addition to the normal traffic, there's thousands of bicyclists streaming in front of you. You're stopped at the intersection and watch as the traffic light goes from green to red to green again, and you don't go anywhere. I'm sorry for the inconvenience, sure. It's not fun to be inconvenienced, but what what about all the other times you're inconvenienced and you just think that's, like, normal? The cyclists thought of themselves as part of traffic, not causing it. But as the ride got bigger, so did the attention it was given by the police. Here's Dave Snyder, the executive director of the Bicycle Coalition at the time. It got to be huge, 5,000 people. And with no leader, there was no way to negotiate how it should choose its routes, how uh, it should leave at a time that was convenient for other road users. Then there was the final straw. Yeah, Willie Brown got stuck in traffic. He was in his limo, and he got stuck behind critical mass a few months earlier and had to wait a half an hour. 
and said that this would not be tolerated anymore. Willie Brown was mayor of San Francisco from 1996 to 2004. He spoke to KQED's politics editor, Scott Schaefer, at a local restaurant in January. And they disrupted the whole goddamn town. He denies, as is widely rumored, that he ever got stuck in traffic behind critical mass. But he doesn't mince words on how he responded to the event. I became mayor. I said that is not subject to acceptance, period. So if you violate the law by running red lights, disrupting the streets, you're subject to be prosecuted. So I went to war with him. The Bicycle Coalition took notice. Here's Dave Snyder. A friend of mine who is a PR expert called me up and said, Hey, Dave, they're talking about critical mass and bicyclists in the paper every day, and they never mentioned the Bicycle Coalition. And I said, yeah, isn't that great? And there was silence on the other end. (laughs) He goes, no. No, that's not great. You need help. And he worked with us to talk about how we could take advantage of all this attention to promote our agenda. For years, the Bike Coalition had been pressing for bike lanes on some of the city's biggest thoroughfares. But Snyder says the plan was just gathering dust. All of a sudden, they had leverage. The mayor said, you know, we have to do something about this. We have to get it under control. It doesn't have any leaders. So what do we do? So they called the Bicycle Coalition. City Supervisor Michael Yaki was tasked with negotiating with the Bike Coalition. And the hearings on building bike lanes were on the table. The mayor's appointee said, OK, we'll have those hearings. Now, will you help the ride leave later and follow the police on a designated route so that it doesn't cause that much trouble? What happened next is sort of amazing. And the Bicycle Coalition people said, well, yeah, we can tell them that, but they're not going to listen. And I think they thought we were being coy, that we were telling him that because we wanted to keep uh, an official arm's length distance, but we weren't being coy. They did not listen to us, and we knew that would be the case. The city didn't realize that nobody, not even the Bike Coalition, really had power over the mass. But the coalition did get their meetings, and those bike lanes eventually did get built. One of the aides to Willie Brown was talking with me about the hearings that they were holding, and I asked her, So what's changed? Two years ago, I couldn't get a hearing on any of this stuff. And she just laughed and she said, 5,000 people in the streets, Dave. That's what changed. The city thought that the mass was going to tow the line at the next ride. Chris Carlson remembers when Supervisor Michael Yockey announced the deal. Michael Yockey comes out like he's Neville Chamberlain waving his deal with Hitler coming off the plane in 1938. You know, our deal has been made. He comes out on City Hall steps and we're going to have a, you know, critical mass will be legal this time and blah, 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 which meant nothing to us. Like we knew you're going to have no effect on anything other than potentially producing some serious chaos. And there was major chaos that night. When July 97 came, the riders did what they wanted. It was crazy. 
it set the stage for the most disruptive and violent night in San Francisco critical mass history. The date was July 25th, 1997. They've set up a sound system with speakers and put a microphone and Martel, the, the, the police commander who was typically on duty for critical mass, uh, gets up and says, you know, hope you have a great ride. It's great that you're all here at our ride here in San Francisco, as though he owns it now. It's like the cops are trying to say that it's like this thing that they're, they're just trying to co-opt it, it was obvious. And then Willie Brown comes up and says a few words too. suddenly <laughs> all the bicyclists are booing him and he's really pissed you can tell he's really pissed and he walks off this off the little stage they have and apparently he tells the cops to shut it down and so they tried and they couldn't because there were just too many cyclists and everybody just went in every direction what happened next was nothing short of chaos 5000 people divided into 10 groups of 500 on average massive clogs of bicycles all over downtown. It completely messed with traffic in downtown San Francisco for a couple of hours on that Friday. It was crazy. A San Francisco Chronicle article about that night reads sort of like a war report. p.m. at Sacramento and Montgomery Streets, police formed a skirmish line of a dozen officers with a backup of several dozen more. As the first of the cyclists were put into arrest wagons, a crowd of more than 150 bikers chanted, let them go. Near Civic Center, an officer ticketed cyclist John Bruno for running a red light and then warned him, if I were you, I'd get out of here. It's out of control. At 5th and Howard, a rider said that a motorist deliberately swerved into him, flattening the rear wheel of his bike. At the same corner, police said a cyclist reached into a driver's side of a stopped vehicle and socked the man behind the wheel. One scene from that night includes a police officer kneeling on the neck of a woman as the crowd shouts for them to stop. At another intersection, the police encircled around 100 cyclists and conducted a mass arrest. People were booked on charges of failure to disperse, unlawful assembly, and blocking traffic, but none of them were convicted. One cyclist who was arrested that night later sued and won against the city for illegally declaring an unlawful assembly and arbitrarily arresting the cyclists. What did Willie Brown say after that night? of critical mass in 97. I mean, can you talk about the fallout from that? A few months after the ride, I was in the elevator with him in City Hall. And I said, Mr. Mayor, our membership has grown 50% since you cracked down on critical mass. I haven't had a chance to thank you for that. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. (laughs) He laughed and said, you're welcome. 
Even though the Bicycle Coalition worked hard to distance itself from critical mass, it ended up being one of the greatest benefactors from the chaos of July 1997. It just got, just brought attention to the issue in a way that nothing else did. It was the start of the reimagining of San Francisco's streets. Valencia Street was the first example where the city traffic engineers took out a traffic lane to put in a bike lane and traffic wasn't completely messed up. They called it the Valencia Epiphany. With the support of the Bicycle Coalition and some key members of the Board of Supervisors, they started doing it all over the city. Today, critical mass is far less well attended. Even for the 30th anniversary ride, hundreds, not thousands of people showed up. By contrast, the Bicycle Coalition is now a political powerhouse. Former Mayor Brown told KQED's Scott Schaefer he thinks he won the war against critical mass. I won, but in the process, probably the the second most uh, impactful political arm in the city now is the Bike Coalition. After labor? No, it's a bike coalition. But after you said second most, who's the first? I don't know who the first is. But, <laughs> but the bike coalition. <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, I wouldn't give them the privilege of saying it's them. Are you kidding me? Critical Mass still has no leaders, and many of the original riders stopped going years ago. Chris Carlson calls it a zombie ride. It just exists on its own. But there's just something about riding your bike through the streets with hundreds of other people, not worried at all about cars. The actual euphoric experience of riding through the streets in a group of bicycles that are just making different kind of it changes the auditory environment. It changes the olfactory environment. Everything is different. It's, you know, it's a really surprise the first time you do it. A simple gesture, riding home together, changed San Francisco forever. Azul, it's clear there's certainly been a lot of improvements made to bike infrastructure here over the decades, but I also know that bike advocates feel like there's still a lot of work to be done. What is on that list? Yeah, well, San Francisco has a goal of zero traffic deaths, but 21 cyclists have been killed on city streets since 2014. Many cycling advocates would like to see better bike lanes created. We're talking about protected bike lanes. You can think of it like a sidewalk for bikes. It's a physical barrier that separates bikes from car traffic. People are especially calling for this now because earlier this month, there was a string of attacks over a single weekend by people in cars who were reportedly intentionally hitting cyclists. There were 14 reported attempts in all. One person had a bone in their elbow broken. Another person fell on their head and had a huge gash. So many of these people were on their way to or leaving the East Bay Bike Party, which is another kind of group ride, sort of a descendant of critical mass. So this has really rippled fear through the bicycle community, and it's something we're reporting on at KQED. Critical mass has been critiqued for its methods over the years, which you talk about in this story, but it's also been critiqued for the so-called testosterone brigade. That's basically the group of young males who lead the ride in ways that maybe don't feel safe for everyone and might deter some folks from participating. Yeah, so as critical mass grew and got bigger, Chris Carlson and some of the other original riders kind of came up with this term, the testosterone brigade. They basically noticed that there would be these younger males that would kind of ride to the front of the group and sort of go a little faster or or kind of bring this antagonistic atmosphere. And that's something they tried to combat, maybe some would say unsuccessfully. This has led to other rides populating the Bay Area. We're talking about the East Bay Bike Party or the San Jose Bike Party. These are sort of similar to Critical Mass in that it's a big group bike ride that happens once a month. 
But they have rules, so they're going to stop at red lights. They're going to post their routes beforehand, and they're going to have designated stopping and regrouping areas so people can meet back up with the ride if they get separated. These are often good places for dance parties as well. People bring a lot of lights and music, and so it's kind of like a fun community vibe that sort of attracts maybe like a little bit more of a younger demographic, uh, things like that. Then you have Rich City Rides, which is really focused on promoting healthy and active lifestyles in the city of Richmond through cycling. One of their staff told me they started as a 100% black organization, and they specifically want to focus on making their rides more inclusive for black and brown people. Cycling culture is often seen as very white and male, and so they're working to change that. Very cool. Azul Dostrom Ekman, thank you so much for your reporting. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Special thanks to Ted White, who shared archival audio from his documentaries We Are Traffic and Return of the Scorcher. Thanks also to Scott Schaefer, Paul Mancor, and Dan Brecky for their help with this story. Bay Curious is made by Amanda Font, Brendan Willard, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Our show is produced in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Have a fantastic week, and if you're on a bike, stay safe out there. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's Trivia Game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.